We are, this is actually our last Sunday in Proverbs, the series on wisdom, being skilled in the art of godly living, of godly relationships. And uh, Matt gave, you know, the disclaimer, uh, this acknowledges the existence of sex, this sermon does, and the sermon does because the scripture does. And we heard uh, what can even feel like a little bit of an uncomfortable passage read. And uh, it is a reality uh, that the, the word of God deals with regularly. And actually, uh, I encouraged last week the potential of reading all of Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. So we're just covering even little bits of this topic, the topic of sex. And I think it's important that we talk about it and we see what the Bible has to say. There are a couple of things that I want to say before we start, or maybe as a way of introduction. Uh, this is a really complex issue and in uh, my hour-long sermon, I'm just not going to have time to address all of it, uh, much less the 30-minute sermon that I'm going to I'm, It's not going to be an hour. Uh, and in, in an hour, I, I wouldn't have uh, the ability to touch on all the things that uh, we would like to touch on, because it is incredibly complex, and, and it's complex for multiple reasons. It's, it's complex because of the way that our culture focuses on and talks about sex and mishandles uh, the topic. It's also complex because the church often mishandles it uh, and uh, it doesn't talk about it well or, or just uh, doesn't talk about it at all. It's, it's complex because of different experiences or struggles or questions or different particular situations. I mean, there are folks here who are married and happy about it. There are folks who are married and struggling or even wish that they weren't. There are folks that are single and wish they were married or single and, and happy or even wondering what the future holds, is, is this something that I would desire and what, is, what does sex mean for me as a, as a person and all the conversations about it linked to uh, identity and fulfillment and all of those things. There's so much that makes this complex. There are different past situations that we have that we feel either uh, shame about or even trying to figure out what they mean and we're coming from all different perspectives. I, I hope that in the midst of whatever your experience is, that we, we see the word of God as, as opportunity for us to say, where, where are we right now and what does it like, look like to move forward? There's, there's no intention to say, okay, here is judgment and, and, and to put guilt upon us. The question is, what does it look like for us to experience wisdom, which is God inviting us into his created world in order that we might experience flourishing? So what is the, the path forward? We all experience this topic in different ways and that we struggle with it in different ways. And, and let me be clear, we all are broken in this area of our lives. And the question might be even how am I broken? And sometimes we know it and sometimes we don't. That affects the way that we, uh, we think about this and experience it. It is also, it's powerful so that it is, it is vulnerable. It, even just to talk about the topic can put us in vulnerable places particularly if we have past hurt, and, and all the more so if we have uh, abuse related to this particular topic that is particularly heavy and damaging. And so we bring that to the table. All of these things, and I, I'm not even able to address all the reasons that it's complex, but I want to acknowledge some of those uh, as I'm able, and, and know that you're going to have questions, or you're going you're, you're gonna to wonder about things that are said, and, and I hope that this is just one of many conversations that we have. Uh, the, the last a little bit side note that I'll give is I think it is helpful for us to note that 
the way Proverbs is written. So we have this language of the adulteress, and it is all over chapter 5, 6, and 7. It is mentioned uh, in this passage at least once, but then also the forbidden woman. Uh, I think it's helpful for us to understand how the people of God understood and received the book of Proverbs. We've talked about this already, in fact, that it was given, it was written as a, a mentor to a, a young man. And, and yet, that being the particular way in which it was written, it was then given to the whole church, saying this is applicable to all. So, I think it's helpful for us to realize that as we see the adulteress or the forbidden woman, that actually could refer to anything that draws us out of a healthy view and thinking and action around sexuality. So that, that could be a man, it could be a woman, it could be pornography that would draw us away from a healthy view. There's all kinds of things that would fall into that category. There, there is not a singling out of, of women as the adulteress in this context. That's not the way that the original readers would have received or understood the book of Proverbs. So I hope that we can see it in that light. Three points that we have from Chapters 5, these, these, these snippets from uh, Proverbs. Uh, the first is the yes of sex. The second is the no. And then the, the last is the how do we live into the yes and the no? Because it, it's, uh, it's certainly not simple. Uh, what, what are the encouragements that we have in the midst of that? So let, let me pray. Lord, we recognize that this is a heavy topic, uh, that it... it, it comes with all kinds of baggage in our own lives and hearts and in our cultures and relationships. And uh, we pray that you would give us wisdom. Lord, we, we pray for uh, our own hearts to experience uh, conviction and hope, both even at the same time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First, we find uh, the yes of sex here in the book of Proverbs. And as we look at both the yes and the no, I think it's helpful to see them a little bit in contrast to some of the things that, that we hear to, that are just a part of the air that we breathe, the, the world in which we live. And, and so we see the yes actually in light of the fact that our culture undervalues sex. What, what do I mean by that? You have probably heard the phrase, it's just sex. Or you're familiar with hookup culture, or the idea that sex only has meaning if you choose to give it that meaning. It's whatever you choose to give it. And, and so as long as there's consent, then, then it's, all, uh, it's all just just sex. No big deal, right? It's just our uh, natural instinct and stop being prudish about it, right? And uh, we, we find this actually alluded to in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 20. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong. There's this this picture of it just being an appetite uh, connected to, to food, right? It's just an appetite that we, that we uh, fulfill. That's, that's, that's all it is. We could have a long conversation about the fact that, um, that you know, anything goes, and this is, again, our, what we hear regularly, anything goes as long as there's consent. And uh, that, that's one of the things that we hear a lot about. We could talk a lot about the fact that consent is just not enough for all kinds of reasons, for the fact that, we regret decisions that we make all the time, sometimes very quickly, sometimes farther down the road. Uh, but the idea that, that we and, and, our, and our minds are always making uh, wise decisions, particularly around something so heavy, is, is just a, a fool's errand. 
And, and then to not recognize the fact that at times consent is given, but there's even unknown pressures at play, or maybe just unaware of the pressures that are happening. I mean, you, even just, again, the air we breathe that puts pressure on the fact that uh, not that many years ago, there was a movie titled The 40-Year-Old Virgin, right? And the title itself is a joke. Can you believe it? The craziness. I mean, that, and that puts pressure on It's like that, that's at play in our culture that uh, you don't want to be that guy, right? That affects consent. It affects these things. But fortunately, there, is, there are parts of our culture that would recognize that there is more to it so that we recognize, and there's been a lot of conversation about this over the last number of years, that there is significant damage when there is abuse in this particular area. Culture's right to recognize that. Sometimes these, that what we hear around us, they, they do butt heads. They don't always fit together, right? So there is a recognition that when there is hurt or abuse or brokenness here, it is particularly damaging because there's a recognition it's actually not just this simple thing that is all free and okay as long as there's consent. It shapes us deeply. We see some of that reality in chapter 6 with this picture of it being fire. Can you carry fire next to your clothes and not be burned? There are consequences. It shapes our lives and what we are. And goes on to talk about, so he who goes into his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. There are consequences. And that's just one of the ways in which we're shaped by this area of our lives. It's actually deeply shaping uh, another movie reference, uh, one maybe even older, uh, Vanilla Sky, Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz, uh, this was a number of years ago, and he, his character is uh, kind of a playboy, and uh, he sleeps with Cameron Diaz's character, and then she becomes kind of obsessed with him, and he doesn't want anything to do with her, and she makes this statement at one point. She says, don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? And it rings true. There's something real and deep that is happening. And it's actually consistent, that fact that there is something real, there is something going on with the word of God that tells us that there is something real and powerful and meaningful happening here. And that it is good and beautiful when it happens in the context in which God gave it. And, and, And we see going actually all the way back to creation. So all of this, the, the, the original readers of Proverbs would have fully understood the context of the Old Testament. They would have understood the context of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, when God creates man and woman, and they become one. And Adam knew Eve. There's this, this very clear picture of this kind of relationship happening in the very beginning. This is part of creation And it was a part of the beauty of them being united and connected. And we see that picked up on here. That in the context of marriage between a husband and a wife, this is good and right and beautiful. Chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed And rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. 
There is this, this picture of this call to something good and beautiful. And look at some of the words that are used. That We find blessing and joy and delight and intoxication. That this is a good and right and beautiful thing that the, the scripture celebrates. The, the Bible is, is, is not prudish. It's actually calling toward this. Now, to, to be clear, I think one of the lies that the church has told that I've heard is, you know, if, if you just wait and, uh, and then you get married, then everything's going to be just like you hope it will be from all the things that you hear from the culture around us about this particular area, then everything's going to be perfect and easy and good. And that's not actually what it's saying here, to be clear. Relationship is always messy and hard. It takes work, and, uh, and that includes all areas. But it is a promise that it is good and beautiful and right. There are other places here where the Bible is not prudish. We could spend time talking about the fact that cistern and fountain were these uh, images in Hebrew writing that were very clearly female and male images. Not prudish images either. We could, we could look at, we could look at um, Song of uh, Solomon and see this, this poem about relationship between uh, the betrothed, those who love each other, who are moving toward marriage. And, uh, and there are passages in there, maybe in addition to one of the verses right here, that would make you blush. The Bible is not prudish about sex. And, and some have said, and I think rightly so, that Song of Solomon is actually pointing to uh, our relationship with the Lord as something better even to look forward to, right? Because the Bible does this a lot. It paints this picture of marriage as illustrative and imagining our relationship with the Lord. We find it in both the Old and the New Testament. And, uh, and I think that is absolutely true. And yet, at the same time, it's also saying that your relationship here and now matters. It is saying both and. We find that actually happening as well in Ephesians 5, where there's conversation about the way that a husband relates to a wife. And then Paul says what feels like a, wait, what, what's happening? He says, but I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about the church and the church's relationship to Jesus Christ, who is described as the groom in the church. Us are described as the bride, that marriage and that sex and marriage, it points to something better and great and beautiful. And, and, and throughout the, the Old Testament as well, we find uh, the fact that this imagery is used. So to turn away from God is to commit adultery. It's just part of the imagery that they would have been familiar with because this, as a part of marriage, points to something greater and beautiful. We find that 1 Corinthians 7 says to a married couple, the, the husband, your body belongs to the wife. The wife, your body belongs to the husband. It's not prudish. It's not prudish when it comes to sex. Again, this is not a, a promise of, uh, of, of bliss if you just do these right things. That's not what we're saying. We remember that wisdom, all of wisdom, is this art and there's a learning how to work through and think about these things and deal with the different situations that are happening in individual relationships. And, um, and there is a mutual care and love within uh, the relationship between a husband and wife. Now, 
Well, even to think about some of the complications that occur, we, we just don't have time to do justice about all those complexities. Uh, but I think the, what we do find here, and want to remind myself and all of us of, is that there is this beautiful, good yes to sex. So there's not this call to be prudish or to avoid talking about sex. There is certainly, and the reason that we gave warning is there, there's an age appropriateness to it, and there is an appropriateness to the way that we talk about it with one another when we do talk about it. We, we need to be wise in those things. This is something that brings vulnerability. Lauren Winter in her book, Real Sex, um, which I highly recommend as a resource, uh, she says uh, at one point that... Um, that, that sex is, is private, certainly, but it's not personal, meaning it's not only just about me or even just uh, the other person. It actually happens in community and it affects community. And so we, we, we talk about these things. This should be, again, one of many conversations that we're having in wisdom. It's the yes of sex. And again, short amount of time, not able to fully do that justice we then have the, the no. And as we saw the yes in response to our culture saying, or really undervaluing sex, I, I think this comes in the fact that our culture at the very same time overvalues sex. That is, it is everything. If you are going to be a fulfilled human being, you must be able to live out uh, your desires in this area of your life. And, and that even to take it a step beyond that, you're defined by those desires and your ability to live them out. And the, just the, the damage that that does to us and our view of ourselves and humanity, the limiting nature that to say that that is something that that just that defines you. I'm not saying it's not an important part of our lives and the way that we experience it uh, isn't important. But to say that it is our identity is a failure to, to recognize who we are as human beings in all of our fullness, in all of our particularity, in all the ways in which God made us. We are so much more than this. But that is regularly what we hear around us, that our lives are defined by who we are. And that, might, that, that plays out in different ways for us, right? Whether it, it's, sometimes it's, we, we struggle for all kinds of different reasons in this area, and, and then we feel uh, ashamed because of, of feeling like this is our identity, feeling like this defines who we are, that it's crucial for life. So in that overvaluing of sex, there, there are way too few boundaries. But even there, there are boundaries. Everybody puts boundaries uh, in, on this topic. And this experience, right? I mean, we just, I mean, incest, pedophilia, they're boundaries, right? But the Bible puts particular boundaries. So we find that these boundaries come, again, in the course of marriage between a husband and a wife. It goes back to creation, Genesis, the way that God made us, male and female. We could talk about the fact that, uh, that procreation was not always the, the only part of this area, but very central, and that we live in this unique time in the history of mankind where we've been able to, to separate ourselves 
kind of, not really, uh, from that topic. But we find this call for it to not happen outside of marriage. And, and this is dealing particularly with uh, adultery. The, the Bible also talks about, if you want to give biblical categories, adultery and then fornication being defined as premarital sex or just sex outside uh, of marriage. There are, there are boundaries here. And, and what the writer of Proverbs is saying is that I want what's good for you. There's, there's danger out there. Why, why would you want this to happen? And in chapter 6, saying, it's like fire, and you're going to burn yourself. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes and not be burned? And this is, this is great imagery, right? This picture of fire. Something that is good and right and, and beautiful and can bring life, but it can also bring destruction. We're, we're going as soon as we can after the service uh, to get in the car and, and drive to western New York pretty close to uh, where they got six feet of snow. Um, so we're hoping we get there tonight without any problems, but excited about the fact that there's going to be snow on the ground and there's a fireplace. And so we're going to be able to sit around the fire and experience the warmth around the fire. And we'll probably use some fire to cook some food. And I, there's, no, there's not much that I love more than sitting around. I mean, I love sitting around a fire. It is awesome. It's one of the things that I love. And so I'm looking forward to that. I, I don't love uh, the fire being outside of the fireplace in the middle of the den when it burns up the whole house, right? That's the picture of fire. It, it's beautiful and life-giving and right and powerful when it is in the right place, but you take it outside of that and it is destructive. It burns the whole house down. And so there is this beautiful, good, affirming picture of sex, and, and, and yet... God is telling us because he created us and he created this world and we've seen through Proverbs that he wants our flourishing. He wants us to experience full and good and right life. And so he's calling us into his creation in a way that is good and right and beautiful for us. Now, a, a, a church lie or twisting uh, one that I have heard is um, that you know, if you step outside of God's boundaries, you're, 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 you're not going to like it. You're going to be disappointed or you're going to be, you're going to regret. And some of those things may happen, but the, the fact is it's powerful. It's good. And when it's twisted, it's still, the re, there's a reason it's tempting. I mean, sin is often this way. Another quote from Lauren Winter's book, Real Sex, sin whispers to us about the goodness of something not good. Sin whispers to us the goodness about something not good. This twisting of calling what is good evil and what is evil good happens all the time in our own hearts. The reality is God's guidelines, his directives for us, they are for our good. And, and they push up against our own desires and they push up against culture in all kinds of ways, but they are for our good. Uh, it's been a long time since I've used this illustration, it, uh, but I had a campus minister when I was in college who had a house right outside the back gate. And he had a, a couple of kids, it's two kids when we first moved there, and he had this backyard that was awesome. He had a playground and he had all kinds of toys for the, them to play with that were like, you, you couldn't imagine something better at that age. I would 
find it boring now, but for the kids, it was perfect, right? And on one side of the house was uh, another house, and they had mean dogs. Let's say, you know, for the sake of the illustration, they're actually rabid dogs. But um, rabid dogs. There was high grass in the back of the yard that we learned at some points there were rats and snakes back there. And then there was a uh, not very busy street right on the other side. Uh, there was a creek. And the kids were too young to play in a creek. It, was, it would have been dangerous for them. And then the front, if they, they could just walk around the house, and there was the street that, certainly not me, but other college students would drive too fast up and down, right? Really a dangerous street for kids to be near. And so they had boundaries, and they said, don't go to these places because what those places mean for you are destruction. But here in the, in the backyard was all they could hope for as young kids. It was awesome. Good for you. There's danger there. And the danger was real. It wasn't them as parents trying to just control them and keep their kids down and make sure that they didn't experience happiness. So he, Ken and Teresa, they wanted beauty and greatness and fun for their kids. And so they put boundaries. We'd like to think that we're not the kids. We'd like to think that we have it all figured out, that we know all the answers, but we don't. And God invites us into that. Now, I recognize that uh, there is this picture of the goodness that God calls us into. And he calls us all in different ways. So I, I can't spend a, a ton of time, and, and this passage doesn't specifically address, the 1 Corinthians 7 does, uh, singleness. And, and maybe you're single and you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm not called into that goodness. And yet there is a way in which we experience and we walk through these things together in which God is telling us that his boundaries, whether we're married or single, are still good for us. So that Paul even says, I wish that all could be single like me. And he calls it a gift. And I, I know that we use that in the church has used that term, the, the gift, in really negative ways. But the idea is that it's actually a good, and he, actually, and he even says, you, you know, you, you want to get married, what, could, could, you, could you not? Because if you, if you really could go without getting married, then maybe, maybe you shouldn't. There's, there's a value on singleness there, and I will admit that the church doesn't always think about and deal with this well. But the scripture does affirm this reality and still the goodness that God has for each of us, because ultimately... We've talked about already that sex points to something even better. And, and, and there is a truth to that, whether it's something that we're experiencing this way or not, it points to something better for those who trust in him, who he's worked in. And so we're invited to continually look to God for the beauty that he has for us, whatever that may be. And again, sometimes that's opening ourselves up to, to challenge in ways that we don't want to be challenged. And, and yet, he's saying this is good for us. So the question then becomes, how do we do this? It's really difficult in our current culture. It's really difficult with just life. Um, I think the first thing that we do to step into the yes and the no is to remind ourselves that this is a beautiful story that he's invited us into. Like, it's... it's celebrating that God wants 
what is right and good for us. That he's given us a story that this part of wisdom is a part of bigger wisdom. That this part of the story is a part of a bigger story. That he's inviting us into that because he cares about us and he wants our flourishing. And he's the one who created the world and he's the one who knows how that flourishing might come. The other thing I think is that we, we do it together. Again, Lauren Winter's quote of uh, sex is very private, but it's not strictly personal. We live in community. The book of Proverbs is given for the community to digest and experience and talk about together. This is something that we do together. We recognize as well that God's boundaries are a protection for us. They are him loving us well. We're invited to step into that. I think it's also important to note this is, remember, talking about this topic, or really any topic, is not to, to bring judgment on the past. Sometimes it might bring conviction that we might turn away from something, but there is, as always, forgiveness in the gospel. Proverbs 16, 6, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. This is not a sit in, in your sin and, and be, as Matt likes to regularly say, be bowled over by your sin. That's... Not what we're talking about here. We're saying, okay, what is God's goodness for us and how do we move forward in it? Remembering that sex, that marriage, are the pointing to something even better to come. Again, Ephesians 5. Let me actually uh, turn to Ephesians 5 and read a little bit of that. He's talking about relationships in the family. And then specifically, he gets into relationships with, um, with those in, uh, with, with husband and wife. Um, and then he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. He's quoting from Genesis. He's quoting from creation. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. There's, There's a reference to sex here. And then he says, the mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church because marriage is pointing to something bigger and better. The marriage supper of the lamb in Revelation, that that is what is to come for us. We find, again, if we're in the Old Testament and the the original hearers of the book of Proverbs, they would have, many of them, they would have been familiar with the book of Hosea. Years down the road, they would have been familiar with this prophet's writing. And Hosea was this prophet who was called to continually bring back his wife who had strayed And God God was saying, this is a picture of me and the people of God. That you are unfaithful, and yet I'm continuing to be faithful to you. And the picture is there that we all, actually, are the adulteress. That we're all, as I said before, we're all broken in this area. None of us have this figured out. None of us have this perfection. And so the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the picture of marriage pointing us to something greater, is that we, who are the adulteress, each and every one of us, that we are offered faithfulness from God. We are offered faithfulness from Jesus who is saying, you are my bride, I'm the groom, and I wrap you up into my faithfulness, into my family, and I bring you forgiveness, and I bring you ultimate and final flourishing in the end at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and that's what we have to look forward to. So that we are able to think about the here and now in light of that and rejoice in what God has for us.